What's going on guys? Welcome back to Success in Soccer. We'll be rolling out a brand new segment called Pro Talk. Here, we'll interview professional players, both retired and still in the game, to see what really makes them tick and how they got to the top level. This week we had the pleasure of sitting down with Mir Mupir via Zoom. He hails from the Republic of Congo, but grew up playing here in the States. He's enjoyed a great collegiate and professional career and gives some great insight to youth players on how to do the same. Check out his interview here with Coach Chris, Tom, and myself. So what was your experience there? And then, you know, what advice would you give to people that obviously don't have the same platform uh, that we did back in the day? I honestly um, miss ODP. ODP, I thought, was a pretty good recruiting tool, which was, was what it needed to be. ODP was never supposed to be the developmenting tool, developmenting to develop players, development tool, excuse me. It was more of a recruiting tool. So um, funny story going on ODP was uh, first did ODP in Ohio, which I didn't know too much of it. And then I remember district tryouts. I mean, I was one of the top players on my team at this point, but I went to districts and did well. But I, um, they said we're going to call us within a couple of days and let us know if we made a district team. Everybody in my team made the district team. They were calling, yeah, I made it, yeah, I made it. And I called everybody, I was like, you guys made it? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, I never made it. So then I'm falling in my room like, man, I failed. I couldn't make the district team. I've never made a team in my life. I've never not missed a team. But then a coach, he saw me training. He was like, Mira, you never put down your phone number. Oh, so we never knew wow. where to call you at. <laughs> but that was, it was wow. funny because, but that year, I remember sitting there in um, the next training session. He said, amongst this group, maybe one of you will make it to Shula Vista, California, which was uh, the national team training center. And so I was thinking, man, that'd be incredible. That never happened to me. But luckily, I don't know what to call it that year, I made it. But that kind of gave me a chance to really think that, you know. And ODP showed me that we, from from early age, I got to see competition from um, different level, like bringing all the top kids together. It was real cool seeing, like, you know, kids from California, kids from Florida, kids from New York. You know, I never saw that many kids from a small town. We were the best kids. So seeing that many, you know, talented players is definitely like, wow. And they treated you like royalty. I mean, they sent you, do you remember that bag of gear? You know, you got all the new stuff from Adidas. I mean, you went to school. You're like a celebrity. Everybody was like, man, where'd you get all that stuff? So, I mean, ODP was, it was a great, it was a great taste of what soccer could be, you know, if you really took it seriously and what it looked like at that, you know, international level. So I, I definitely kind of missed that system. And now, Coaching, you know, I've coached worked with the DA system back here in Texas. I work with them quite a bit, and I don't know if I I think what the DA, for instance, you know, generate developmental academy. I feel like it's taken away from a lot of the grassroots teams, especially here in Houston. In Houston, I remember it, one of the toughest things to do was to get out of Houston. Once we got to regionals and nationals, we really pretty much won those pretty easily. But regionally. We, every game was zero zero one zero one one. It was very difficult because teams and I think talent was better distributed and you had a lot better um, grassroots coaching and individual coaching. Now what you see here in Texas is super clubs, really, really big clubs with huge developmental product programs, ECNL programs, and these are more recruiting tools, but they don't really develop players. Where you really see players developing or and went on the small clubs from my experience. The small, you know, one coach raising you to with you for three or four years. Yeah. You know, you can see the majority of those kids really, you know, and th- that's really changed a lot. I think that started to go away from that model when ODP started, you know, 
it's become sort of a second nature in terms of recruiting. So I would like to see us going back to smaller clubs, more clubs, more diversity, and then using ODP as a selection process. Okay, the top kids from this club come here for this trial, and then kind of picking the teams there. But, you know, of course, and there's a lot of opinions when it comes to this particular yeah. topic. Yeah, you can talk on that topic all day. So um, we won't even talk about the DA shutting down and then the next step. Maybe we'll save that for next next time you're on. Um, and just kind of focus more on you because I know you got so much uh, to give to the youth, especially. So, um, obviously, you attained a lot of success at the club level. Uh, when did you decide or when did you think, hey, I want to go to college? And what was that process like um, from, you know, transition from club and high school to the college ranks? Well, luckily, like I said, um, early on, I was on one of the top youth club teams, youth club. So, in terms of we went, we were invited to all the top tournaments. And we had a lot of coaches, a lot of attention. So by my junior year, honestly, we had we had we, had, we were lucky enough to be able to take a pick of some of the top schools. So I started looking more into the schools of which school would give me the most uh, chances of playing, and also um which which school had a good history. Meaning it had you know they've been to the tournament, they've been foreign the tournament, maybe won a national championship. So I really looked in schools and also what part of the country I felt had the strongest you know soccer. And for me, all that was the East Coast. The North Carolinas. That was basically from a young age, from from high school, sophomore year. I was thinking I'm gonna go there, and um, I was lucky to be recruited by three schools in North Carolina. I was recruited by Chapel Hill. I was recruited by Wilmington and Charlotte. And um, the truth is, when I went to Charlotte, I just felt like that was me. I liked it was clean, it was modern, and I was coming off a national championship with a golden boot. So I'm thinking I'm gonna go here. I'm gonna win a national championship. I'm gonna make this my school. I'm gonna make this my you know. Charlotte's gonna be known. Because of me, I mean, I was full of confidence. I did like Charlotte because when, when I felt when I got there, the facilities were so top-notch, and the level of competition was around around us was so good that it would give me the best chance of developing. You know, you play against the best, you're going to definitely, you know, see if you can make it or not. So Charlotte was a good choice for me, I felt like. Um, I look back, and I'm glad I went there. I do. Got it, got it. How much... Uh... I mean, how much due diligence did you, you know, do before making that decision? Um, you know, obviously, I know you looked at schools from a geographical standpoint. You know, I know just from talking to you before the show and in the past, all those talks we had back in Denmark just about life. Um, I know you looked at schools yeah. from a scholastic standpoint, too. Um, what are some of the things that you would suggest kids do um, as they're looking for, you know, the right school for them? Oh, now I have some controversial comments here. Okay. <laughs> now, here's the thing about it is I come from a very um, academic background. My father is a teacher, TSU, my sister's PhD, my mother's a nurse. So for me to go the sports route was very definitely against the grain. My parents thought, you know, from an early age that I had enough talent to pursue this dream, so they're going to support me. So once again, full of confidence and completely for one way of thinking, I went to school with the mentality as – I'm going to use this to help me get to the next level professionally, which gave me two reasons because I felt I didn't know what I wanted to do apart from playing soccer. So it was difficult for me to pick a major and pick an academic field that I felt was going to help me. But it's so, so important when kids go into school that they have an idea of what field they want to go to. There's a very small chance you'll get to be able to play professional or to the next level and this opportunity to be able to use school is so massive looking back at it i wish i would have you know definitely you know taken it more 
you know, for what it, what 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 gift it was in terms of getting to be able to do both. So um, it's very important that the school you go to also has an academic program that you enjoy because it'll help you a lot, especially if soccer doesn't seem or whatever sport you decide to play doesn't seem to be working out. Then you can still feel like you're accomplishing something opposed to, you know, if you go there for sport only, the sport's not working. And the, but most of the time, those kids don't do well academically either, and then it just becomes like almost a lost, lost situation. Well, luckily enough, you know, I was able to support, worked out after my freshman year. I led the team in goal scoring, and I had Columbus Crew also offer me um, a D, uh, generation Adidas. Not a, it was what was called Nike Project 40. Yeah, Project 40, yeah. That Project 40. But I was having a great time in school. I was like, man, no, I'm going to stay here another year or two and hang and I'll go. But it was, it was um, so I had a, a good idea that I was going to be able to get a chance to play pro, which further solidified my kind of stance of, you know, thinking, you know, soccer is probably going to be what I do for a living, where I'm going to go. But I really wish, I really do wish, and I preach all the time that it's so, so important that you understand how lucky you are to be able to go to school and play at the same time, because those two things will definitely help you, you know, set your future up in terms of giving you choices. And that's, that's the gift, is giving you choices of what to do. Go here, do this, become this, become that. Don't limit yourself like I did, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, that's a really good point you have as far as picking your major, at least something you think you might want to do, just because you look at the situation we're in right now, there are some schools that are literally canceling their men's soccer program right now as we speak due to this pandemic and in the situation we're now. So if you're there just for sports and not for a scholastic uh, field in general, you know, you're pretty much kind of left out there just at a school. Obviously, they're still honoring scholarships, but you're not playing sports. So... You know, how happy are you going to be if you went there for sports and not for scholastics? So I think that's a really great point that you bring up. Um, obviously, scholastics was a, a huge part. And, you know, how important was it? You know, obviously, they liked you as an athlete um, and a player. But, you know, would you have had that same success had you not focused on your grades as well? And well, see, now the thing, the thing is, yes, in high school, I'm a very strong student because I knew I wanted to get to, um, I wanted to, get into a top school. And the fact that, you know, my motivation changed a little bit in college. But then now, obviously, I'm going back to school because I'm doing it by science and things like that and trying to work on a master's in uh, the same field. So the whole importance of school is so massive. And the, being able to get that as an athlete, a two-for-one. And also, one of the perks of being a student athlete, too, was that you got chances to register first. Like, you got the best teachers. You got the best schedule. Like, you don't understand, these are major advantages that kids, you know, don't have. So you, you, your, your chances of success are a lot higher for just because you have advantages. Yes, you your own study hall. Yes, access to tutors. So the student athlete gets a lot of resources, which is another thing that you don't realize in student athletes. So, you know, you go to school by yourself. The university offers a lot of general resources, but you get specified resources for you as a student athlete. And looking back at what they do for student-athletes, there's really no excuse. They give you great opportunities, and you should definitely use them. So finding um, a good school that you feel comfortable in and finding a major of interest, programs of interest, are really, really important. You'll enjoy the overall experience so much more on top of your sport. Because injuries happen, a lot of things happen in sports. But if you have that you should definitely do you know, working towards a degree or working towards the future. You never feel like it's lost time. You never feel like it's, you know, you don't feel the pressure as much as a lot of players that, you know, we grew up seeing who had the one-track mentality where it's more than nothing. 
Yeah, true. And I think it's important you said that because uh, obviously at schools, teachers sometimes don't necessarily love the fact that kids play sport and have to miss class. And the reality is when you play sports in college, you, you have to miss classes for away games and different trips and the NCAA tournament and different things like that. So I think the point you made about being on a soccer team or being on any sports team, having the privilege of registering for your classes early, one, like you said, you get the, the pick of the best teachers, but mainly, more importantly, you get the teachers that you know are accept, you know, they accept the sports and your role within the sports team. Um, so they don't punish you or make you miss a game, which then can kind of put you in jeopardy at your spot whether it's starting or a scholarship of, you know, the next season or whatever. So, you know, you get to take your times if you, you know, your coach is going to tell you when you train. So you're basically picking the best times, the the best teachers, you know, with keeping in mind your schedule um, and the teachers that are going to let you out of class and not really put it against you as long as you finish your work and start doing all the tests and all that stuff. So uh, that's a big deal. Um, what At what point did you... Did you know you were going to college? You know, going and while you were in college, at what point did you know you were going to play pro, or you were like, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, this is what I want to do." And you know, at what point did you figure that out? Well, I had a good, I had a really good freshman year, and that my freshman year kind of solidified for me that um, I could, I could do it. I mean, I still knew I had, I, I could grow, and I, and I felt like I was in the environment. So after my freshman year. I did have a chance to, I was approached by um, Greg Andrewlis, I believe she's called Columbus Crew at the time, with the possibility of going to Project 40. And so that right off the bat, I was like, wow, you know, there's a chance. You can, you can, you can actually make it. So then I started trying to prepare myself from that point on mentally, you know, physically as well. Spent a lot of time in the weight room, spent a lot of time watching the tape of myself and trying to, you know, thinking like, I, was, I always felt like I was against the curves, you know, here. I had a lot of work to do in school and I had a lot of things to do with other kids in Europe. They're training with professionals all the time, you know, they're already living the lifestyle. So for my mentality, it was like, I gotta work double hard. So I would stay before I get to before training, I train, I get there after training. And then I, you know, I would even sometimes just go out there and mess around again. It was like, I always thought I could never do enough, which, so I mean, I knew after my sophomore year that going pro was probably a chance, but after my sophomore year, for sure, that's actually when I, um, I had my best year in terms of uh, all-around points and just goals, I just really felt dominant my sophomore year. So my sophomore year, I was like, I'm going to go pro. But then my junior year, I got injured pretty bad, which, you know, made me realize, hey, this may not happen, you know? But then I made through my junior year. But then my senior year, right before my summer, my senior year, playing um, PDL over the summer, I got injured really bad. So we threw a huge, huge wrench into my plan. But luckily enough, what I had done the previous years, you know, I was still invited into camp with Columbus after my senior year. So, but injuries can definitely change your landscape. This is why, once again, we got to keep talking about the academics is such an important thing to have in your, your repertoire. But by my, by my freshman, end of my freshman year, I knew I could go pro. By sophomore year, I was 100%. I could go pro. And then I was, at that point, I was just break, break, basically waiting for the best opportunity to see what would happen then. Yeah, got it. So, two things. One, a sophomore year, you're what, probably 19? Yeah. 19, yes. I think uh, some of our listeners, I mean, for them, you know, for some of those kids, four, that's four years away, you know. So, uh, 
you know, time comes fast. So putting the work in, you can't put it off. You got to start it now. If you haven't already started, you, you know, if you have a dream and a goal, whether it's just playing college or make it to the pro level, you, you heard what Mira said, you know, as far as putting the work in before training, uh, obviously 100% during training, every training session like the game, then putting the work in after, and then even going and doing stuff with the field. So, you know, those are definitely going to be some of the keys to success. Um, so I guess the next thing I want to touch base with you on is, uh, I guess, that transition from college to pro. What was that like, and then what path did you – did, did that vehicle take you on? Yes. Um, so then what happened was the next year or so, I just basically from my senior year on, I started struggle, I struggled with a bunch of injuries. A lot of um, over overtraining, the overtraining improperly, improper training, not overtraining, proper training. Meaning I was I should be doing more exercises that were more specified for what I was doing instead of full bodybuilding, which I was doing. <laughs> So I learned a lot of mistakes that early on in terms of how to train properly. But um, the transition was all right. What happened was I had gotten called into Columbus. But then at Columbus, I pulled up again and it re-injured my hamstring. But then um, Pittsburgh at the time, they league were they were also there at the preseason. They invited me from Columbus into Pittsburgh. So I went to Pittsburgh and played half a season with Pittsburgh. And then from Pittsburgh... I actually DC saw me and brought me in from DC United. So then I went to DC United. When I got to DC, I had um, started off really well. I started scoring a lot of goals um, with the reserves. But then we had a little problem, which I realized real quick professionals, you know, what politics. I had top scorer in the league with Jaime Reno and Emilio, Luciano Emilio, who were on fire. And I was a striker. So we were getting absolutely no PT at the time. So we were, you know, frustrated. Because I know I felt like I deserved it. Of course, I was once again full of confidence. Yeah. So from DC, I ended up leading the reserve team in goals and doing pretty well there. And my agent at the time, he said, "Hey, I have a club in Denmark, the first division in Denmark, who looking for a target striker just like you. You know, they saw they saw some of your highlights. Would you be interested in you know going to Denmark?" And I was like, "Denmark." He was like, "Where's Denmark?" And I was like, "Yeah." He was like, "Right there." He was like, "No higher up." <laughs> like right there. I was like, "No higher." Up. Denmark, I'm north. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was, you know, I told you earlier on, I was a nomad. I've traveled to a lot of different places. And I always wanted to, um, I heard a lot of good things about Denmark, meaning it was a good country to make a lot of noise. And I'll give you opportunities to, you know, apart from some of the more politics in Germany or a little tougher, England or tougher. So I said, yeah, I'll definitely take that chance. And I went to Denmark and um, did quite well at the, at the all my trial. They signed me. And then... The club went into like a financial situation, so they loaned all their foreign players to another club across the country. Where actually we ended up meeting me, where we met each other. Yeah. There too. Yeah. So it was it was great in Denmark. Um, what I learned in Denmark was MLS is much more physical. There's a, a lot of really good players. Like kids don't understand how good American players really are. Like it may not translate on a national team. It may not translate, you know to what you might see on TV, but trust me, go to an MLS training session, go to one of these things, you're going to be like, wow, <laughs> everybody here can play. And, you know, so, I mean, MLS, it was great for me. I speed of play, the physical was fantastic. So when I got to Denmark, I mean, I was definitely there. What I saw in Denmark was um, I learned a lot more tactically of how important, you know, my tactics were, whereas most of the time I could rely on my physical ability. I was fast, I was big, strong, I'm six foot one, you know, 185, you know, I was a big kid, you know, I could, I could, you know, I could move. So 
I use that a lot playing, you know, here, but over there, I had to be a lot smarter in terms of how I moved. And, you know, what I did was was turning with the bar, holding it or laying off. So I learned a lot more tacticals and kind of how to think more in the game when I went overseas, which definitely helped me transition as a coach in terms of um, just overall tactics. So, Yeah, yeah, definitely. What, was, what do you think the, uh, I guess, what was the biggest difference between college and pro? The, the level of play or the speed of play? Like, what, what was the main difference? I feel you had, um, you had better thinkers in terms of um, college. You had really athletic. Athleticism was at its peak. To this day, I say I've never, you will never see a more fit athlete than a college soccer player. College athlete, I mean, it's a complete other different kind of breed of human being right there. Like, you're going to, you, you're fit. But decisions, decision making, you know, I saw pros, you could see pros do things differently. Like, where maybe I would have maybe tried something more physical, he might have simply not gotten involved in a play, and that alone might have created space. That makes sense. Or, you know, a pass, a simple pass here, opposed to, you know, trying to take on a player would have created more space or, or retained possession. So just the level of thinking, decision-making, which is much higher at the pros. You know, players are just more intelligent. You don't have to be so fast and physical to be one of the best players on the field. In fact, I saw um, Jaime Reno, he played, he played, had a training session. He played two touches, one touch the whole session. He was the best player on the field. You know, just yeah. one or two touches, and he was just a step above Christian Gomez, too. You know, he's always, you know, looking for a pass behind, flipping passes in that you would never see. So the vision and just the overall speed of thought is what the difference between a professional, you see professional in college. But physically, um, they're about the same in terms of what they can do. It's okay, and I forgot to ask you when we were talking on the uh, high school transition from youth to college. What was the difference that you felt? What was the most difference between high school and college? Now, high school and college was physical. That was a huge transition. From um, high school, you know, it was kind of physical. When you went to college, it was like everybody was a grown man, huge legs. Like it was, I mean, coming in 100% tackles. Like you had to be able to, you know, absorb pressure, not only just, you know. So it was the physicality from college to soccer is speed of play fast. And fitness level, too. If you're lazy, pick a new sport. <laughs> if, you're, if, you don't want to, if you don't want to work hard, I'm telling you, pick a new sport. Because you know that's the one thing you have to have the work ethic and your um your ability to you know just to maintain that physicality of college soccer. College soccer is extremely physical, and you know with a lot of good players in there too. There's some good, really good players mixed in that physicality. So that's the biggest transition I saw was just the um, you're playing went from playing with you know your peers to men. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, yeah. So then okay, so from high school to college is the physical aspect, and from college to pro is the mental aspect got it. Exactly. got it got it um yeah it makes sense uh so i guess at, at this point so obviously uh you had the the playing career um how, how many years did you play pro in total played pro about five years a lot of the time was injury i spent about two years injured too okay. so i mean and what really hurt me a lot was my injuries every time i started building momentum i would um get an injury so now I teach a lot of injury prevention is a huge part of your preparation is understanding you know when to rest but also when to push you got to train smart and not so hard so you got to train smart but you also be able to consistent but then um knowing you know knowing how to listen to your body so that's why I had things I teach I was correct about surprises injury prevention type stuff so 
But yeah, I, I was lucky enough to meet up with Mark, spend some time in El Salvador as well, in Aguila. Um, in between bouncing back from injuries, I spent half a season there, which was an incredible training, an incredible environment. We had 20,000 people at practice. So, I mean, it was it was just that much you there. Where, you know, they knew who you were. You were the, you know, it was it was it was passion for them. So I saw passion really in El Salvador. So it was a great experience. And then um, I spent also a lot of time on trial. A couple of times I spent some time in France. I never signed, but I spent about three months in France. Okay. Also training too. Gotcha. So it was it was about five years. It was it was it was great experiences behind the doors, you know, playing and also being injured. You see a lot that you don't see as a player. So you kind of you kind of like an extended member of the coaching staff. Yeah, you're still part of the team. So you kind yeah. of you're kind of in between battles seeing what both kind of go through. So it was, I don't regret it at all. I was actually, it was, it was great, great, great ride. Yeah, so that's actually, I didn't really think about that. But when you're injured, you said you obviously helped out from a coaching standpoint. Um, so obviously that helped you when you got back on the field. What would your advice be to somebody who's injured, um, you know, during season? Oh, it's massive that you, um, you stay involved. I noticed from the past that you heal much quicker when you're aware. Like, you know, a season's kind of like the story. If you miss a game, you miss a, you might miss a story. You might miss section of like an episode. You might, you, you miss something important. So every, the more you're around the team, the more you're around understanding what's going on, the less you feel out of sync when you do return. That's what I've noticed. Like every time I stay around the team and I mean, I'm close to the team in terms of like an injury, I feel like I'm much closer and I'm much more in sync when I do return. If you don't, a lot of players struggle to get adjusted back onto the field. So it's important that you listen, you know, watch and understand what are things coaches, you know, complains about, about players playing in your position. You know, because you also you understand, too, I'm listening to Sam complain about, oh, you can't hold the ball very well? Okay. So then, you know, they also don't practice and work on holding the ball because you want somebody who can target, you know. And then also from a player standpoint, is you, you hear a lot of different things in that sense to where you can still be part of the team, but you're not necessarily playing. So you should keep your ears open, hear, hear the feedback, you know, be around. They say psychologically, do a heel faster if it's true or not. The more you're physically close to your team than when you kind of do your training on your own. Got it, got sense. it, got it. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. Um, it's good for, you know, some of these kids to hear that as well. So I heard you say uh, kind of what you're doing now today, working in injury prevention. Um, let's, let's touch on that. You know, what, what are you up to nowadays? What's, what's life after soccer look like? Yeah, so I, I took a break from coaching club soccer. I mean, I coached with a um, few clubs down here, all the top clubs down here, including my youth club Texans. And then now I do um, personal training, soccer training. I do phys- um, finishing. I do a, I have a finishing program. I just created just a 10-step program in terms of, like, teaching mandatory skills that a lot of players overlook. You see goalkeepers get specified training, but then people just expect strikers to just score goals, just losses fall in the back of the net. But yet, I mean, really it's the skills that you gotta have. You gotta be good at timing. You gotta be able to recognize situations. You also have to have different techniques that in your repertoire, meaning like volleys and be able to have some sort of sense of, you know, be able to curl the ball. So I spend a lot of time breaking that down with a lot of players. And I've seen a lot of results. I've seen a lot of professional players and youth players go from not scoring many goals to scoring a lot more goals in terms of just being more comfortable in front of net because it means a lot of composure. And then in the gym, I'm also um, doing uh, personal training from every, covering everything from fat loss to 
corrective exercises to um, speed and agility performance. With my athletes, I do um, younger athletes. We work on body weight type exercises, balance and coordination, these type of things. And you know, and also introducing the important core strength for um, athletes. Same thing, recovering from injuries. Or we got Andrew getting back to top shape before they start training with their teams. Different scenarios with the ball, different um, functional type drills. So they feel like you know, once they get back in the game, they're still got their timing, their tempo, all these things down. So I mean, I mean, like being a student of the game, something I always will be. I love, you know, just constantly trying to learn. You know, what I'm going to take. My, um, I'm going to do my UEFA ref- ref- um, refreshing course this summer just to be able to um, continue to keep the education going because just learning is the best part. Even as a player, don't ever stop learning. Don't ever stop thinking that you, you know it all or that you can't, you can't, you know, advance. And that's just based on my mentality. It's like I said, it's just trying to learn as much as I can to, to continue to grow in this game and really just feed my gift, give back. I want to be able to put a stamp on the game one way or another. Not quite sure how that will be, but you know, just know that it was something I can give back to the game that's given me so much in terms of you know, just family, friends, experiences. You know, just this this game's given me just a countless number of things. So I feel like I'm forever indebted to the game. The only way I can give back is constantly trying to you know learn and grow and you know put my mark in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think. Uh... So that obviously means soccer is still tied into your life. So, you know, throughout the course of from when you were young to now, I mean, how big of a impact was soccer just in general in your life? I mean, soccer is just it's, it's my lifestyle. It's who I am. It's what I do, you know. Even to this day, I also work with um, scouting too as well. So I, um, I, like I said, I'm such a fan of the game. I like to, you know, be able to, you know, watch as much as I can. So... Even so, say if I'm not coaching, I'm scouting. If I'm not scouting, I'm personally training. If I'm not personally training, then I'm studying. So, just, I mean, it's complete, full, it can never stop, you know, circle of my life. You know, soccer is once been, you know, recurring thing. And it's really touched every aspect of my life. I moved overseas to Denmark before I met my wife and my children. So, I mean, the sport even introduced me to eventually what my wife would be too as well. So, I mean, it's been something that's, really, really, really taking me on quite an incredible journey and a ride. And I continue to stay pretty much in, in, in depth, deep inside soccer still. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Um, well, no, I think that's all great stuff. I think we've got a lot of, a lot of great insight, a lot of good information um, within this. Maybe now we'll take some time just to open up to anybody that might have a question um, or, you know, comment or, or anything. Yeah, so guys, if you have a question, go ahead and submit it um, in the Zoom group chat. Can you write by, um, right down by your by your side there. So in the meantime, while that's coming in, if I could just ask you, Mira, you, you mentioned your mentality um, a lot, even from the youth to college to the pro level. Can you talk about how each step you took, what the mentality took to get to the point where you're at now? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when you to be an elite athlete, I mean, your voice has to have to. Wow. Can we lose him? I think we lost Mira. Just give him a second so he can get back in here.
it again. So while we're waiting for him to get back, um, you know, for all the guests that are on, this is a great opportunity if you want just to uh, submit a couple questions. Um, or even if you want us to put you on the video, you could ask him yourself. But uh, just, yeah, just let us know. I think uh, for some of you, based on who I'm looking at, um, I'm sure you guys have some some good questions uh, or anything you might want to know. But um, I guess everybody here, you know, between uh, myself, Dwayne, Tom, we all played at the Division One level um, that had success there. What do you guys take on any of the things that he said? Oh, he's back. Never mind. Well, there he is. Guys. <laughs> Man of the hour. Yeah, we got Hold on. Unmute, unmute him. Let me unmute the real quick. All right, Mir, you were unmuted. Uh, we sir. Sorry about that. No problem. Uh, yes. So mentality. Uh, mentality is really the difference. Because what you see is talent. It varies. You know, a lot of kids are talented. A lot of kids are skilled. Uh, what separates, I saw myself and all that successful kids, was mentality. Like, how disciplined were you? How much did you really were you willing to do the things that you needed to do? Meaning, you know, understanding maybe your, your left foot was weak. Were you mentally strong enough to spend, you know, that time to develop your, your left foot or did you avoid it? Or let's say your fitness and you was behind the other players. Were you willing to wake up in the morning and run at your fitness? So mentality was always a huge, huge thing was, you know, wanting to be tough. And, you know, the whole Kobe Bryant and Kobe Bryant was a massive, massive, massive loss for a lot of us. Because I mean, he really he, he captured a lot of himself. I mean, that was mentality. It was you have to be the best at work. Everybody got to train harder. You got to be. You got to be. You got to want it more. So mentality is going to be what gets you there. Not necessarily your technique or your skill, but what are you willing to do? What are you willing to sacrifice? How are you willing to actually do it? Say it. And that's what um helped me from every level, from from high school to college. You needed that because you're going from. A step up, and then from from a college professional, you definitely needed that because that's another step up. So anytime you want to step up into the next level, whatever that may be, if that's come from your mentality and your mental strength, you know, can you can you bounce back after, let's say, you had something embarrassing happen to you, somebody telling you no, you didn't come from a team, or you're losing a game, are you able to still turn around and still find that you know motivation to still do what you believe in yourself? So. Mentality is probably the single-handedly most important thing, I believe, for players apart from basic, you know, technical skills you need. Great question. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you. Um, so just picking up, piggybacking off of that, you had a lot of ups and downs in your career as well, injuries, not making that first team. What coping mechanism could you use to help you get through that? Is that something that you think that would translate from every aspect from youth to college to football? That's actually a great question, too. Um, at, a, at an early age, I think what was a good thing I learned was I learned to kind of get over myself, meaning in a sense that you're going to get embarrassed. Things are going to happen to you. It's going to happen to everybody. But the faster you can kind of just brush yourself off and move on to the next, the more successful you'll be. So, for instance, as a striker, if I miss the chance, I would oftentimes not, you know, beat myself up for not scoring, but instead focus on what I did wrong instead. So instead of, okay, what did I just do? I rushed the shot and I missed hitting. The next time I need to take a more better touch in front of me and tuck it away. 
So then the next time I'm getting the ball, I'm thinking, oh, I want this again. I'm going to show you. I want this again. Apart from, oh, my God, I missed the breakaway. We're going to lose. What's going to happen now? My team going to be so mad at me. And that's what a lot of kids put in their head instead of the opposite, where I was like, well, okay, I missed that because I was probably off balance. You know, if I, you know, square my shoulders up a little more, drop my, you know, drop my body forward, I'd probably be more balanced and most likely score. So just, you know, forgetting your mistakes and learning how to learn from them is probably the, probably the biggest thing, you know, because you're going to, you're going to get dropped. <laughs> you're going to fall on your face. So you got to be prepared for that. I understand that that's just part of the route. And so I'm very lucky for that. And I think give a lot of credit to my mother for that optimistic personality. <laughs> yeah. And just going, just going back on uh, your your mentality, your your mental approach, Thomas Jefferson. You want something you've never had. You must be willing to do something you've never done, right? Mm-hmm. So, like you said, getting up and, and doing that early morning workout, or putting the extra work in on your own, you know, or after training or before training. Important, <clears throat> obviously, because you want something you never had. You obviously have to do something you've never done. Because if you're doing everything that you've been doing, then obviously that's not good enough for that next level. Yeah, so, we have, I think uh, did a couple questions. Yeah, from Jose Rivera, who asked, what kind of drills did you do? What drills do you think were the most important to work on during training? What position did he play? Depends on the position. I think um, there's certain technical skills you always got to work on, which is your first touch. Mm-hmm. I think being comfortable on the ball is important in any aspect. The older you get, the more important it is to have a really clean first touch. So, you know, just different type of drills, juggling drill with balls in the air, high lows, we try to put up in the air. Also, um, technical skills. You can never be too good technically. I say this all the time. It doesn't necessarily have to be fancy, but just, you know, cuts inside your foot, outside your foot in tight spaces over a period of time are incredibly important. And last but not least, you see modern game finishing. Whether you're a center back, or you're a striker, your ability to be able to put the ball in the back of the net is a valuable asset, you know? So if you can, um, if you're comfortable from shooting on goal, heading on goal, you know, finishing is an important skill that you need to corp- everybody needs to corporate into their game at some point or another. Yeah, well said. I think he's a striker as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, got another one ahead. Cool, just checking to see if there's anything else. Yeah, we got a Ryan Mendick question. Oh, there we go. When you get into your own head, knowing you did something wrong, how did you work yourself out of that state of mind? I think you touched on it a little bit. Um, but there, is there any specific... I do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, what happens is, just what I used to do is look to see what I did wrong. If you miss, made a mistake or whatever choice or whatever whatever mistake you made, you did something wrong, right? So you just technically look back and kind of see, go through your steps and see what you did that was wrong and what you would have done differently. Like maybe you, you know, you tried to, you overhit it. So you might have been leaning back. So maybe next time from a technical standpoint, you understand that keep the ball down, I got to lean forward. So what I want you to do is if you make a mistake in a match, no matter what it is, first listen to kind of feedback you get from your coach. But then second, also... See if yourself you can work out what felt wrong about the mistake or what you would have done differently if you got the ball again. So when you start thinking about what you would have done differently, now you start anticipating your next action. Because chances are you might find yourself in the same situation at some point in the game again. And this time you might have a better plan. 
So don't worry about the mistake. The best players in the world make mistakes constantly. In fact, the majority of goals are scored because of mistakes. So mistakes are going to happen. It's a matter of understanding how to correct yourself. And if you don't know what you did wrong, that's when you ask your coach or you ask a trainer for someone you trust, hey, in that situation, I lost the ball or I just hit it. I'm not quite sure what I did wrong. That's the better way for you to grow instead of beating yourself up. Because I mean, nobody wants to miss a chance. I've never seen a striker who, who deliberately wanted to miss a breakaway. So it's going to happen. I've never seen a, a defender who deliberately wanted to score an uh, own goal. It's going to happen. But you understand maybe what was the reasons why. Okay, maybe I reacted late. Maybe um, I anticipated the situation too slow. There's always something you could have done a little differently. So focus on what you could have done differently, not the mistakes. The mistakes already been happened. It's already done. So, so Mira, I have a question for you. Kind of, kind of along the same like uh, as as mentality. Um, you, you spoke about on the field how you kind of worked yourself out. Um, how did you work yourself out of situations that were out of your control, like your injuries, like like maybe not making a certain team or a certain pool? See, those were a lot harder because um, I think those support systems also important, like getting good feedback from. Instead of, you know, understanding maybe what kept me back from that team or what kept me back from the situation is important. I'm speaking generally here. Now, in terms of injuries, from my injuries, I always decided that it was a breakdown of some sort. So the one of the ways I would overcome it was to learn what was the breakdown, meaning if my hamstring pulled, I need to do more hamstring work to strengthen my hamstrings. And now it kind of gave me the feeling like, okay, you've injured yourself, you're going to build yourself even back better. Or when I was injured, I was also work on something that I knew I wasn't good at. For instance, um, I felt really weak at one point drilling with my left foot while I was injured. So I spent the four weeks I was out on a sprained ankle, kind of just moving around drilling my left foot. And the funny thing is during that four weeks, I would actually feel a little bit better when I came back. So it was almost like I, brought, I got a new tool while I was injured. So, I mean, it was just always thinking, how can I improve myself during my injury? And if things weren't working out in terms of, you know, playing time or not making a team, I would try to get a lot of feedback from my trainers on what they would want me to work on and listen, kind of observe and match it. If somebody was playing ahead of me, what they were doing better than me or what they were not doing so well. So, I mean, it's, it's a tough one because it's something that even at the top level, Chris will tell you too, confidence is a difference between um, professional players who are successful and they're not. Because everybody in that locker room is very talented. But you think of why some players, you know, they go to one team, they blow up, they blossom, have a great season. Or another player goes to one team, he doesn't do very well. That has a lot to do with confidence and um, just settling in. So confidence is something that affects the best of the best. It's not something that just, you know, amateur players deal with. Top yeah. professionals also, if confidence is off, you can see, you know, player like, um, who's a perfect example for, um, Alex Sanchez. You saw Alex Sanchez from um, yeah. Arsenal. Yeah. He was a complete different yeah. player. Did he lost confidence? And even at that level, you're like, what happened to him? But I assure you, if he can find his confidence back, you'll see nothing happen to him. It's just a matter of yeah. being able to manage your own self as a critic. Very cool. All right, so we have another question from Jose Rivera. How many hours a day did you train? And how many days a week did you train? How important is it to wake up every day and put in the work? Now, the thing about me was at the time or during our time when we trained, it was an everyday thing. So I would wake up at six in the morning before school and run. 
Then we would play two hours at school. And then after we would drive and go to club soccer and go another two hours. So we'd be, you know, five, about five hours a day. That was just normal, you know, but we love to do it. But then it's important if you can withstand that type of um, load, it's okay. But if you're tired or you're starting to feel these kind of like fatigue, fatigue type injuries, it's important that you take a day to rest. A day of rest can rejuvenate you and prevent an injury that lasts you four to six weeks. So understanding, you know, working hard is definitely something you got to do. But understanding, too, if you feel fatigued or you feel strained, taking a day off does not necessarily mean that you're cheating or you're lacking or you're mentally weak because that can prevent an injury. But um, I did train quite a bit. I love training. It didn't feel like training. You know, in college, the same thing. I would um, go, to, we'd go to we would go to practice. I'd be the first in a practice working on finishing. Then we would go to training, and then afterwards we'd go to the weight room. I love lifting weights, too. So, and I want to be bigger and stronger because all the college at, uh, defenders decided they were 6'5", 215 pounds. But I was like, well, I got to get in the weight room there too. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I trained, I trained a lot. But um, also, you can, get a good, you can get a good workout in 45 minutes if it's specific and efficient. You don't necessarily have to be out there for an hour and a half every single time. So training every day doesn't certainly mean you got to be training two hours of heavy lifting every day. No, no, you can go out there for 30 minutes and get a good time to go work out in that will translate into something while you play. So so would you recommend if you're going out on your own and you're doing those shorter spurts of 45 minutes to have something specific that you're working on? Like, I'm working on receiving Exactly. Okay. Yes, and that's another thing too. Make it simple. That's a great point. A lot of times I see great YouTube training videos where kids are going through like all these codes and flying and I'm what are you actually training here? Is it fitness or for to translate for me training is pick one or two things and just work on that for that 30 minutes and really, really master that because you'll get the repetition and repetition leads memory, which you can actually use in a game. So when you, when you're training, you know, specify one or two drills and really try to master them. And that's a really good training session that you'll see. And a lot of professionals will do the same thing. After training, um, a lot of guys would sit here and just do one thing. I remember the defenders at DC would all sit there, Clive Sims, he would sit there and hit 40 yard balls. He would do nothing else. Receive a ball, open up, hit it 30 yards. Receive a ball, open up, hit it 30 yards. He would do it for 45 minutes. But in the match, you would see the majority of his game would be that, having to open up and switch play. So, you know, learning, you learn like those kind of things, that's a good training session. You don't have to go and be super creative and have all these equipment and you know, to, to really get a good training session in, it could just be something like that. Very cool. Okay, awesome. Uh, Chris McNeil writes, what were the things you most enjoyed about playing in the MLS? Oof, I mean, just the, the, the access to everything. I mean, it was, it was a great lifestyle. You got everything. I remember walking into, <laughs> it's like you have an Adidas store in the locker room. So you want anything, you just walk in there, but yeah, you want these? Yeah, take that, take that. Do you take those creditors? You want that bag? And you're just walking like in a candy store, like, wow. <laughs> this professional treatment is special, man. I mean, I hope everybody can, can experience it. How, uh, you know, being in the atmosphere was just incredible. And seeing, um, I remember the funniest story was when David Beckham first signed in the MLS. That was the year, the year 2007. So, he, we were, he was coming, he was coming for the first time. Everybody was like, man, whatever, David Beckham, please. You know, we don't care. When he came to the locker room, I was like, oh, God, I can't remember. So we all had our little, our little band crushes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> spot. So just, 
playing. I think the best part was that too, and seeing guys like Kai Moreno, who I grew up watching play. You know, as a striker, I, I really had, you know, being able to train with a guy like that, I just absorbed as much as I could. I watched what he did, you know, try to mimic a lot of things he did. So the players you play with and just the experience of being in that atmosphere are really, you know, what it's, it's, it's an incredible experience. Very cool. Yeah, that's a really fun story. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, let's see what else we got down here. What kind of sacrifices did you have to make during college and pro? Oof. Um, oof, this is a good, good question. Honestly, you got to make a lot of sacrifices. I'm telling you right now, I missed prom. I missed homecoming. I had no time for girlfriends. Like, I couldn't work because I mean, club soccer. You know, a lot of my friends had, like, sidecar, part-time jobs. Uh, they had extra, you know, but I couldn't really do that because I had games on the weekend, I had practice, I had schoolwork. So you, you lose a lot of social. And also a lot of major parties on the weekends I missed because I had 8 a.m. games. And for me, it was that, that's what it took. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to play pro more than I wanted to, you know, to be in that social setting. So I sacrificed a lot of um, social settings or self-social events. Um, weddings, if I had a game, I missed a lot of people's weddings. I missed a lot of things because, you know, soccer was what, and even to this day, I missed some close friends, you know, special moments in a lot of people's lives because, you know, I can, you can't miss a game for that. You know, your trainer, you know, that's your spot. You, you miss that game, somebody takes your spot and they do well, that could be your career. That could be your job. Especially yeah. with the pro. You sacrifice a lot of time with family and friends holidays and things like that a lot of people enjoy to you know because of for your trade for your sport throughout the levels so it's i mean you know that it was worth it for me it definitely was worth it very cool good question really good question yeah really can of course my boy um got another one here from aj while you were in college was it just going through the um the trainings at the coast laid out for you and the, and the video sessions, or did you do a lot of work on your own outside of the structure of the curriculum? Um, I was lucky enough to have really good coaches, so they did give us a lot. But like I said, I was obsessed with being the best and wanting to be, you know, top scorer. So I would spend hours on my own. I would go, and I learned a lot. Thank God for college, you had resources. I learned a lot from watching myself. For instance, um, maybe a chance I'd miss a mistake I made in the game felt differently than what I saw. So then when I kind of looked into when I, when I watched the video, I could kind of see like, oh, I see now maybe that felt, that felt a little different than what I was doing. So you, you learn a lot by watching yourself. And um, I took a big interest in, you know, studying my own mistakes. Sometimes it's brutal. When you have a bad game, you got to sit there and watch yourself on game day making mistakes. It's tough. But you learn a lot, you know, and that's the most important part about it is that you, you can get more insight into how you can improve. That that translates into efficiency, meaning you can train for three hours and you can watch a game for 30 minutes and the difference in what you learn could be, you know, you know, is what I'm trying to say. So it's don't be afraid to study yourself. And I did a lot. I spent a lot of time studying myself and I spent a lot of time with um, my other teammates, which thank God they also love to train too. So we would go out and we would do, we would we spend, you know, we would challenge ourselves to go out and play and kick around. So it, it, it's a lifestyle. So it's, it really depends. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, obviously, every player on the team, they're all part of a team, but everybody might have different ambitions or 
different goals. So it sounds like the last thing you said was you found other people that had the same ambition as you did um, as far as either work ethic or looking to play at the next level. And you got together with those guys and did extra work and put the work in. Um, and obviously you guys all motivated each other with it. It might have been the day that you weren't feeling it, but somebody else was like, look, we still got to do this. You know, let's exactly. go. And it, it motivated you. So I think it's really important. How important was it to you to have a group of people um, that were on the same path, the same, you know, same goals, similar ambitions? How, how important was it for you to be around them? Oh, that was massive. In fact, um, that, that kept me alive a lot of times, and that pushed me. You know, I was lucky enough to play with a good friend, Foy Franks, who um, also played, he, he ended up signing with Chicago Fire. And we would constantly drive each other and push each other, you know, work that, they, you know, it's not good enough. You know, you got you to gotta, you gotta push here. So having who you surround yourself around is so important, especially, you know, when you get to a college environment, because if you're around people who, are, who drive you and push you, then it's going to definitely help you further get to your goal opposed to those Right, no, let's go to this party instead, or no, you know, it's, I'm tired, I'm like doing that. No, we didn't have that. You know, so much, I saw my roommate start lacing up his boots, I'm like, where are you going? Because I'm going to the fields? And I'm like, well, shoot, I'm going to the fields then too. You know, that's basically what we had. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then we, we, all, we all set up each other. Nobody wanted to overwork. Nobody wanted to be perceived as lazy. Nobody wanted to be like, no. So that, that was the great thing about having that mentality and having the right people around you in college is that, um, it definitely helps push you, so it's it's important. I, I would say that you know, what Christian said was try to find people who are like minded and who want to get there too, who who believe it and it'll help you push. That's so important. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, if there's any more questions, we'll answer one more. But other than that, we'll... nothing. Got nothing yet. We're all set. Okay. Yeah, I think we're good. Hey, well, look. Um, yeah. Mayor, we appreciate the time. Um, it's been too long. Definitely got to catch up more. Absolutely, man. Be me out here. We <laughs> catch up on uh, good times. But, uh, but, yeah, we definitely appreciate you coming on, obviously giving a lot of great information to uh, younger listeners and even some of the listeners that, you know, are, you know, have the ambitions to play pro or playing college already now. Um, but, yeah, that was great. Um, Tom Blaine, thank you guys as well. And I guess we'll ask we'll answer one more question. This is the last one in the world. It's from AJ. Last question. Ooh. If there's another MLS team you could have played for, who would it be? Good question. Probably LA Galaxy. Just go to LA. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I was still showtime there. Yeah, yeah. Just oh, no, I don't think about yeah, that we DC was I think I was honored for DC because of the history. Definitely so I won't do something that I was really proud to be and still to say, you know, of that hold close to me, so but if not LA, like we, we all know why. Great place. <laughs> <laughs> seeing you guys tomorrow night we'll be on with Julius James who's also played with MLS um, as an international experience as well and uh, we'll see you then right, thanks a lot fellas thank you, thank you. Thanks. 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 nice to meet you you too thank you for having me
All right, guys, enjoy.